You're listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Quick reminder that it's Old Bill's giving season in Jackson Hole, and we're asking for your support for local independent media. Please donate online today at oldbills.org to support Jackson's only nonprofit newsroom and the only community radio station in the state of Wyoming. Thank you for your support. Coming up on today's show, new 2020 census data gives us better insight into local growth. Or does it? We know some of what we don't know, but we don't know all of what we don't know. Plus, a look at how one Colorado mountain town is raising money for affordable housing projects. You can never really have enough dedicated funding sources for something that is at this level of crisis. But first, a University of Wyoming student has been living in Jackson Hole this summer, studying E. coli in Teton County Creeks. The research comes after signs were posted around fish and flat creeks earlier this summer, advising swimmers and other recreators of the dangers of elevated E. coli levels in the beloved local waterways. KHOL's Will Walkie reports on why studying the source of the bacteria is critical information for Teton County residents. Kelsey Ruling and her team are dressed in waders and boots on this warm sunny day, carrying bags full of equipment from their van to Cache Creek, one of the many streams they've been trudging around this summer. How, how wide is Cache Creek today? Ruling is a master's student at the University of Wyoming studying zoology and physiology. This summer, she and her team are profiling microbial pollution in Teton County's waterways, and she's got lots of gadgets to do so. Three and a half meters. So Claire is using a ancient but reliable piece of equipment um, called a flow meter, and it measures the velocity of the stream um, using electrodes. Ruling gives me a vocabulary rundown of the data she's collecting. There's discharge, or the volume of water moving through an area, turbidity, or the cloudiness of the water, and several more. Ruling wants all these numbers so she gets an accurate profile of each of Teton County's main creeks and streams. You know, every stream is different and has various influences or potential, you know, environmental factors that may be related to bacteria, and so that's what I'm kind of trying to understand. Um. The main event, of course, the part of the project likely to cause controversy throughout Teton County, are the water samples themselves. To collect them, Ruling's team is using a long stick with a claw on the end to dip a jar into the middle of the stream. We're going to process for E. coli, and we will extract DNA from the water sample, too, to do some microbial source tracking. Ruling's been taking samples on private and public land throughout Jackson Hole, and when she leaves in early September, she'll have everything she needs to start crunching the numbers and doing lab work back in Laramie. Eventually, after checking and then rechecking all of her work, Ruling will develop a report to be presented back to this community. We've had a lot of contact with community members that that are excited and are really interested in the work that we're doing and you know one of the goals is to try and understand what some of the sources of contamination are Um, and so I think that that is reassuring to people you know that that they'll get something beyond just E. coli counts. Most E. coli as with many microbes is actually harmless to humans or even good for us. 
But other strains are bad, according to Dan Lehman of Protect Our Waters Jackson Hole, a group that advocates for restoring water resources in Teton County. And if you think about what actually causes E. coli contamination in waterways, it's pretty gross because mostly it's poop. The primary sources of E. coli are are well known, and they include like wildlife, pet waste, septic systems, wastewater treatment plants, and livestock. Lehman says serious strains of E. coli can cause stomach aches or diarrhea in a mild case, or urinary tract infections or pneumonia in severe cases. That's why he helped lobby to get signs put up around Fish and Flat Creeks, which had, quote, impaired E. coli levels at the beginning of this year, according to the State Department of Environmental Quality and the Teton District Board of Health. I don't think people quite understand, you know, the whole issue with E. coli. And that was one of the reasons of getting the signs out there on Fish Creek was like, we felt it was so important that people had the information that they needed to make informed choices. But elevated E. coli levels aren't always the sole fault of humans. When Teton County's waterways were last studied on a microbial level back in 2003, Lehman says 83% of the bacteria was due to local wildlife. Just 17% was human-caused. So, Lehman's looking forward to Ruling's report, a much-needed update that will give water managers a fuller understanding of where to focus their efforts in the future. E. coli from wildlife is something we can't control. What I would like to talk more, I hope, what I hope the community would talk more about is the, the sources that we actually can control. Ruling says she regularly has people come up to her when she's taking samples, asking what she's doing and giving their thoughts on water quality. Although she wants people to take her results with a grain of salt, she expects to get a lot of local attention once she publishes everything. Water is like incredibly political here in Wyoming and... I'll say a little bit like taken for granted, you know, we think that like, oh, there's not that many people here. Like we have, you know, pristine, clean waters like we live right next to the Tetons. Like, yeah, but there's also, you know, thousands of visitors here and there's, you know, people that kind of may not um, may not take as much accountability for what's going on. Ruling's research will also build on separate water quality mapping projects released earlier this year on subjects like septic systems and drinking water. Her data will be another piece of the puzzle portraying an issue that's concerned Teton County residents for decades. Will Walkie, KHOL News. After statewide figures were released in April, more local data from the 2020 U.S. Census came out earlier this month. The results for both Teton County, Wyoming and Idaho show that the Idaho region continues to grow in popularity. KHOL's Kyle Mackey talked to officials on both sides of the past to get their takes on the new count. A range of community concerns, from housing to pollution, was brought up recently during the first informal chat with Jackson Town Councilors, a kind of virtual brown bag lunch. But one local resident, identified only as Jim, boiled down his worries to a single argument. Our community is overpopulated. There are too many people. With gridlock traffic, packed trailheads, overwhelmed restaurants, and a housing shortage, it's hard not to concede that Jim might have a point. However, Town of Jackson Community Development Director Tyler Sinclair says growth might not be the whole story. 
I went back and just looked a little bit kind of historically on kind of when our, our periods of, of largest growth were happening. And, you know, certainly there's, there's a couple of different decades, 1970s, 1980, you know, the town doubled in population. And so when I look at kind of a 9% growth or a 10% growth in the town of Jackson, over the last decade, there certainly have been periods when the town grew much faster. With a growth rate of 9.6% between 2010 and 2020, according to the new census data, Teton County was tied with Laramie County as the fastest growing region in Wyoming over the past decade. Lincoln County, home to Alpine, came in third at 8.1%. But overall, Wyoming is growing at one of the slowest rates in the nation. In Jackson, Sinclair says he thinks massive tourist numbers and redevelopment could be contributing to greater perceptions of change than the data actually shows. I think a lot of that has to do with we're tearing down one house and building another house, but we're not adding you know, a lot of additional population, although we're seeing a lot of growth and change and gentrification in the communities. Part of that feeling of change could also be driven by the continued growth of second homes in the valley with owners who don't live here full time. But the estimated vacancy rate is even higher in Drake's, according to the most recent American Community Survey data. That figure has more than doubled from about 20 percent in 2014 to 41 percent in 2019, though the margin of error is rather high. Still, Drake's mayor, Hiram Johnson, says it's one of the groups he's most worried was undercounted last year. We are guessing that those who count themselves as second homeowners, but actually converted to primary homeowners during the the pandemic and for the foreseeable future, they were certainly not accurately represented. Another group Johnson is guessing was undercounted is Teton Valley's Hispanic and Latino community. That's a fear echoed by many government leaders and activists across the country following the Trump administration's failed attempt to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. The official count was also cut short by a month under President Trump, and even the Census Bureau has cautioned against comparing 2020 data to that of 2010 because of changes to how some demographic information was recorded. We know some of what we don't know, but we don't know all of what we don't know. Teton County, Idaho, officially grew by 14.4 percent over the past decade, putting it just behind the 10 fastest growing counties and what is now the second fastest growing state in the country. And while Driggs technically remains a small town with a new population estimate of 1984, it faces many of the same challenges as Jackson in terms of needing to serve a much larger population. We have to serve not only those 1,900 people, but also the many people who are commuting into Driggs for their jobs every day. We have to support the rest of the county as the county seat, as the central economic hub where grocery stores, doctor's offices, dentists, uh, law offices, uh, you name it. Those are primarily located here in Driggs. Then adding the geographically isolated community of Alta, Wyoming and tourism into the mix. We look at the, the sheer number of bodies that arrive here in town to visit our little piece of paradise here. It may be five, ten times that or more on any given summer day. So Driggs has to look and act like a bigger city. Both Johnson and Sinclair say accurate census counts are critical for local municipalities in order to secure accurate funding allocations. Census data also informs redistricting processes, which are now kicking off in both Wyoming and Idaho, and which will define political representation in the two states for the next 10 years. 
more user-friendly redistricting data and detailed demographic breakdowns are expected to be released by the Census Bureau by September 30th. Kyle Mackey, KHL News. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next, it takes more than want and will to build affordable housing in Colorado's mountain communities. Much like in Jackson Hole, limited land pushes up prices and building costs are high. Julia Caulfield of KOTO reports on how Telluride is looking to raise a little bit of extra money to offset building and maintenance costs. This story is part of a collaboration between Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network, highlighting housing solutions across the Mountain West. In 2019, three Telluride locals identified what they saw as a problem. Pepper Raper Contillo was one of them. We see our town is just bleeding people and wonderful people that are volunteers and great workers and wonderful community members, um, and people can't find housing. The Trust for Community Housing, a local housing nonprofit, estimates there are currently fewer than five housing units on the market for rent. And affordable housing projects in the area currently each have wait lists of over 100 people. So Raper Cantillo and her friends decided to put democracy in action and do something about it. We decided, hey, let's tax the problem and turn the problem into a solution. That solution was a citizen's initiative ballot measure. The citizen's ballot initiative we did was to put an excise tax on short-term rentals within the town of Telluride. We proposed a 2.5% excise tax, and that money was specifically earmarked for the affordable housing budget of town. The measure was aimed at short-term private rentals, like Airbnb or VRBO, and excluded hotels and commercial accommodations. The short-term rentals, Raper Cantillo says, is contributing to local residents losing their long-term housing. Roughly 35% of Telluride's housing stock is currently short-term rentals. That's up from about 20% five years ago. That fall, the measure passed with 56% of the vote. The tax went into effect in January 2020. In the first year, Telluride collected over $400,000 in tax revenue. In 2021, Telluride Mayor Delaney Young anticipates the town will collect $800,000. She says that funding will help float a number of construction projects coming down the pipeline. The town of Telluride is currently building a 30-unit rental project and are planning to break ground on two other housing projects within the next year, adding another 30 to 50 units of housing. You can never really have enough dedicated funding sources for something that is at this level of crisis. We just need to keep our eye on the goal, which is to get as many units built as quickly as we can. And for Raper Cantillo, housing efforts related to the tax are essential 
to keeping the community sound. For one, she says the lack of affordable housing discourages people from starting new businesses in Telluride. They don't want to commit to anything because they don't know at what point they may get kicked out of their housing and have to move town. Mayor Young adds housing is more than just a roof over your head. It has to do with your mental health. It has to do with economic health for the region. Housing is if you will, the hub of the wheel and all of the spokes that come off are related to what that stable housing can provide to the entire community for not only the employees who live in it, but the businesses where they work, the schools that their children attend, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the idea for a short-term rental tax didn't appear out of thin air. Other mountain towns, including Crested Butte, provided a roadmap for what the tax could look like in Telluride. Voters there passed a tax on short-term rentals that took effect in 2018. Having a defined revenue stream that's been pretty consistent these past few years is a great benefit for the community and for the Affordable Housing Fund. It certainly gives us the stability to do things um, that we couldn't necessarily plan on being able to do in years prior. Dara McDonald, town manager for the town of Crested Butte. She notes the town collects about $400,000 a year from the tax which goes back into the town's affordable housing fund. It certainly has not impeded rentals. We just continue to see growth in the revenue um, numbers that we're receiving. But McDonald and Raper Cantillo recognize the tax is just one element. It's not enough. Um, we still, like, like Telluride, have a huge uphill battle to be able to secure sufficient housing for our local workforce. This is one small puzzle piece of many actions we can take. And, you know, some say 2.5% wasn't enough to make it worth it, so we shouldn't have done it at all. But if you look at it, at the end of the day, it's raising funds that were not there before. And now more locals are stepping in again. A new citizens initiative to cap the number of short-term rentals in Telluride is working its way to the ballot this fall. For KOTO and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Julia Caulfield. program that teaches Jackson community members how to make documentary films is going international this fall. Allison Sperry, the founder of DIY Docs, is moving to Tlaxcala, Mexico with a Fulbright scholarship in order to expand her program with locals there. In our last story today, KJOL Spanish language reporter Alicia Unger profiles Sperry's work with local Latino residents ahead of her big move. We'll take you now to the piece en Espanol before wrapping up with our weekly news roundup. KHOL also reported on DIY docs in English last fall, and you can find that story and more on our website, 891khol.org. KHOL, noticias en español. Los saluda Alicia Anger. Luces, cámara, acción. Hola, muy buenas tardes. La oportunidad de aprender a crear documentales está en Jackson. Yo quiero crear una industria de documentales diferentes. Alison Sperry, originaria de Maryland, asegura que llegando a Jackson encontró en el pueblo una diversidad de culturas. Soy una, una persona que, que necesita conexión con mi comunidad y necesita colaboración también. 
conexión que quiere compartir con el mundo. Siendo una trabajadora social, Sperry ingresó en la industria cinematográfica y desde hace varios años estableció DIY, Do It Yourself, para compartir sus conocimientos del séptimo arte y llevar a la pantalla grande el trabajo de sus alumnos. Yo quiero escuchar la experiencia de mis estudiantes. Experiencia que Blanca Molle, una de las participantes de DIY, reconoce ha sido muy enriquecedora. Lo que me encantó de la clase es la diversidad, y sobre todo la diversidad de edades, ¿no? Se ve muy marcada. En las etnias y lenguajes también hay diversidad. Emily Combs asegura que con este proyecto ha podido realizar una de sus metas. Siempre he estado interesada en la fotografía, comenta Combs. Siempre quise aprender cómo darle movimiento a las fotos para poder contar historias, agrega Combs. Un interés similar al que, según Ismael Jiménez, otro de los participantes de la clase, estuvo expuesto desde muy pequeño. Mi papá tomaba muchas fotos y al lado de su hermano, mi padrino, tenía una compañía de fotos y de videos. Y ahora, asegura Jiménez, con esta clase lleva la fotografía a otro nivel. Los términos como de, de cine y todo eran cosas que no, no estaba como muy consciente ni muy familiar con todos esos términos. Y ahora de que estoy aprendiendo más de cómo se toman los videos y las fotos y todo, ya me sé los nombres. Y eso era algo que aprendí que no estaba completamente consciente. En el curso también son incluyentes los niveles de experiencia. Hay estudiantes como Amelia Mares, quien comenta ya tienen práctica previa en el tema de grabar contenido visual para subirlo a las redes sociales. Pero aún así, indica Mares, la experiencia ha sido única. El poder entrevistar a las personas, como que ya no lo veo solo como un video, sino como una experiencia de integrar a, a los que están alrededor. Entonces, eso creo que es lo que más me ha marcado en toda la clase. Mientras que para Moye, quien tiene un programa de radio, también comenta ha sido una ganancia sociocultural. Cuando tú ya tienes cierta edad, tú crees que saben mucho, ¿no? Pero de repente volteas y dices, ah, caray, me hubiera gustado saber lo que ellos saben en su edad, ¿no? Con el poder de un celular, micrófonos y programas de edición, el grupo Avanza Unido en la meta del proyecto de mostrar el sentir de la comunidad inmigrante que radica en el condado Titon. Yo creo que es muy interesante el poder compartir cómo vivimos y cómo vemos la vida cada uno. Desarrollo que, según Sperry, organizadora y maestra de las clases DIU, la llena de satisfacción. Me encanta esta forma de documentales que cuando los estudiantes están parte de la procesa, directen la procesa. Me gusta porque las ideas son diferentes, los tiempos de cada uno de los estudiantes han sido diferentes y entonces hemos como hecho un bonito equipo y bueno, ya estamos haciendo un proyecto muy padre. ¿no? El éxito de las clases es tal que Sperry asegura tiene el entusiasmo de producir mucho más. Si quiero empezar clases cada año. Sin límites ni fronteras. Este... Otoño me voy a Tlaxcala, que enseñar clases a la gente allí. Alicia Anger, KHOL, Noticias en Español. Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this week. 
Masks are back in Jackson Hole. Teton District Health Officer Dr. Travis Riddell issued a face covering order Thursday that'll be in effect until September 4th. That decision followed a 48-hour comment period as required by state law and only pertains to indoor areas with some exceptions. The Teton County School Board also voted to require masks at the start of this school year, which kicks off next week, while the area is either in the high or moderate COVID-19 risk levels. Community transmission currently puts Teton County in the red or high risk level, and the local hospital started to fill up with COVID patients this week, according to data from St. John's Health. Jackson Mayor Haley Morton Levinson and Vice Mayor Arne Jorgensen held the first of a new series of informal conversations with the public on Wednesday. Here's Morton Levinson describing her vision for the chat with council members events. When I started on council in 2012, Mayor Barron used to have his brown bag lunches once a month. And so that's my eventual goal is to have kind of an informal get to see everyone kind of thing. Obviously, Zoom, I think, makes it a little more formal since we can't be having lunch together, but we are doing the best we can in the times we are in. (laughs) While the chats won't be official public meetings, Morton Levinson and Jorgensen heard concerns from community members Wednesday on a wide range of topics. First of all, I'm strongly against the housing preservation program pilot. We are giving people $200,000 to uses a down payment for a home. In order to be able to afford to qualify for a home, you would have to be a wealthy person. As we watch this community grow, especially the growth and the number of people that come here, um, personally, pollution is at the top of my list. And I'm talking about water pollution. I'm talking about plastics down at the- I personally am not going to go to a store that requires it because I don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. And if it's mandated in town, I can tell you right now that from that point on, I'm going to go to Amazon.com for all of my goods. Not everyone agreed on the issues discussed, but the town leaders say they're grateful for the feedback. One resident also thanked the council members for the chance to hear from folks with different perspectives. And I appreciate hearing what people are saying that are outside of my bubble. And so this, I think, is great. Future chats are expected to be held on the third or fourth Wednesday of the month moving forward, with rotating participation by different town councilors and either the mayor or vice mayor. Following the release of updated, more localized 2020 census numbers last week, Cowboy State lawmakers have another item on their agendas, redistricting. Wyoming's population grew only slightly since 2010, lagging behind other Mountain West locales. However, numbers within the state's borders shifted more dramatically. This means the lines that define Wyoming's representative and Senate districts will need to shift, which was exactly the subject of a webinar last Thursday. Cities are growing. The rural areas are continuing to lose population. um, And so that rural representation will be strained regardless. I'm just trying to find the best map that fits. Republican Representative Dan Zwanitzer of Cheyenne was one of the speakers at a Zoom event last Thursday about redistricting and why it matters. Lawmakers approved a set of guiding principles for the process last week, which favor keeping districts within county boundaries as much as possible, as well as grouping, quote, like-minded people together. One of the principles Jackson representative Mike Yin, who was also in attendance last week, is following is simply making sure all of the districts have a similar amount of people. So one person, one vote basically um, comes from the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause in the Constitution. 
And it, um, it is meant to make sure that each person in the state has equal voting power when it comes to our representation. One person, one vote has not always been a given in Wyoming. And in fact, at least one lawmaker proposed shrinking the Senate to one person, one county, no matter the size, at a recent legislative meeting. That would mean Uinta or Hot Springs County gets the same representation as Natrona or Teton counties. But that was shot down quickly, and an independent commission will likely move forward with a redistricting proposal featuring public input in the coming months. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. We'll be back with a new episode after Labor Day. Original music for the show is by the local band Strumbucket. Subscribe now to Jackson Unpacked on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving a rating for the show in Apple Podcasts also really helps us spread the word and continue this work. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson.